0: Welcome to Dads with Daughters. In this show, we spotlight dads, resources, and more to help you be the best dad you can be.
1: Welcome back to the Dads with Daughters podcast, where we bring you guests to help you be active participants in your daughters' lives, raising them to be strong, independent women. And it is so important that not only that we learn from each other, but we learn from other amazing resources out there to be able to be amazing fathers, but also to be resources for our own kids. And for anybody that has daughters, I can honestly say my own experience, notwithstanding, that friendships can be some of the hardest things that you see your daughter struggle with. And I don't have sons, so I can't say whether that's the same, but you know, when I talk to other dads with sons, it doesn't seem exactly the same when we're talking about friendships. And friendships today are so much different than when we were growing up. And today we uh, have a great new guest on the show. Jessica Spear is with us. And Jessica is a mother of two. And we're going to talk to her about being a mom of daughters. But we're also going to talk to her about a brand new book that she has out called BFF or NRF. Now, NRF stands for Not Really Friends, and you probably know what BFF stands for, and it's A Girl's Guide to Happy Friendships. So we're going to be talking about that as well. Jessica, thanks so much for being here today.
2: Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to chatting with you.
1: I'm excited to talk about this too, because I think it's a really important topic that all dads need to understand and, and be, be able to be more experts at. I think it's 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 something that we have to traverse, and a lot of times we feel unprepared when our daughters come home crying, and or they're in their rooms crying because of something that happens with a friend, or maybe. Not a friend, but but we're going to be talking about that. But to start today, I always love to be able to delve a little bit deeper into you as a parent. So first and foremost, what I want to do is I want to turn the clock back in time. And I know you've got a 15 and a 13 year old daughter. So I want to go back in time to that first moment that you found out you were going to be a mother to a daughter. What was going through your head?
2: You know, that's such a great question. I was really surprised because I grew up with two big brothers. So I always just thought I was going to have boys. I just it was really a surprise to find out I was going to have girls. Um, yeah, so a bit of shock there. Um, but once, you know, you know, they were, came into this world, I was absolutely thrilled. I, I had no idea. Now I see. Um, yeah, what an amazing opportunity it is to raise girls. So I absolutely love it.
1: Now, your experience is going to color the experience that you have with raising daughters. Um, the same with a father's and, and not having the experience of being a woman. And for a lot of dads, there's, there's this fear that goes into raising daughters because of the unknown. But for you, as a mother of daughters, what would you say is your biggest fear in raising daughters in today's society?
2: Hmm, you know, for me, my biggest fear is that, you know, when they leave, you know, my home, they don't have quite the confidence, you know, that I would love for them to have in themselves and the belief in themselves. And I know that's kind of triggered from, you know, reading a lot of research on especially preteen girls how confidence drops. So I know in the back of my head that triggers. Oh, I want to make sure that, you know, while they're under my roof, I can, you know, to help them develop the confidence, you know, so that when they leave and they're off doing their life, you know, they have the confidence to navigate.
1: Yeah, that's definitely not an easy, easy thing to do. You know, you can definitely work with them and help them on their self esteem and help them to see their self worth. And sometimes, but sometimes it's challenging to be able to help them to. Sometimes get out of their head. I've seen that in my own girls to be able to see the value that they bring to everything around them. But it's so important. Now, what would you say has been the hardest part? in being a mother to a daughter?
2: The hardest part, I think, and, and this has been, I, parenting is such a great opportunity for personal growth. I think the hardest part is staying as grounded as I can. So I think through parenting, I've learned real um, emotional regulation of myself because I realize what I bring to the conversations and bring to the table is going to directly impact all those conversations that I have. So yeah, that's been a challenge, but a wonderful challenge you know, to figure out, okay, I need to come into this conversation totally grounded, you know, um, to help this conversation, you know, be the best that it can be. So yeah, that's a challenge, but an opportunity too. So I kind of, I turned that one around a little bit, but it's challenging. I think it's challenging to stay really present and grounded all the time instead of reactive um, and getting too emotionally involved in things.
1: I hear you on that. And a lot of times men are not the best at being, I'm not going to say present, because I I am always encouraging dads to be present. But I think sometimes dads go into conversations, into situations with their daughters. And as a lot of dads or men do, we try to solve. And we're problem solvers instead of listeners. And a lot of times our daughters just want us to listen and let them talk instead of being able to be that solver. And we have to do that. We have to have the same conversations and and the same type of mentality with our spouses or with our significant others as well. But I think that that's definitely a challenge on the male side when we look at that as well. Now, one one thing that I know, I mean, you've got a 13 and a 15-year-old daughter, and I'm sure with both of them, you've had some memorable experiences, the things that you've shared with them that Stay with you and stay with them. What would you say are your most memorable experiences in raising your daughters?
2: Oh, so many. Let me think. The most memorable. Um, Oh, all those milestones. I, I mean, what those moments that they have overcome, again, those inner fears, those things that hold us back in life. But, you know, one of the joys of parenting is being able to see when your daughter goes for it, you know, even though just even you know, despite self-doubt and maybe not, you know, a little bit of lack of confidence, but she goes for it anyway and she puts herself out there. And, you know, as a parent, we watch that and we're just hoping, you know, our fingers are crossed, our toes are crossed. We're like, oh, please, please, please let this work out. And, you know, and sometimes it does. And those moments are magical. I mean, you know, the, the failures have an importance too. You know, that's where we learn our resilience. But, yeah, those moments that really stand out when, you, when, he, when it all works out and it's just... Amazing, you know, some hard work and persistence um, works out for them, and and yeah, and we can all share that joy together.
1: Well, I really appreciate you sharing that, and I, as I mentioned, you have a brand new book that is out right now that is all about friendships with our daughters. And I, as I mentioned at the beginning, I think that that is a really important topic because I think, uh, as as I've seen in my own daughters. What it means to be a friend in today's society is very different than what it meant to be a friend when I was growing up and even how they interact with one another. And sometimes it's difficult to be able to help your daughters to be able to identify who are those BFFs or the not really friends, the NRFs. And I I guess first and foremost, tell me about this book and what made you decide that you wanted to, to write it?
2: Yeah, and so it didn't, it didn't actually start off as a book. It kind of started off as just really being curious. I've got a background in social sciences, and when my daughters were in early elementary school, I noticed a shift in them. I noticed that, you know, friendships were no longer so simple, and there were some, you know, sophisticated conflicts going on, and some power struggles, and and it reminded me so much of my experience at that age, and as well as a lot of my friends, you know, we've talked through, you know, what what is it that's happening, you know, to girls during this? It starts say mid-elementary, and you know, kind of peaks in middle school, and hopefully starts to taper in high school. But this phase where friendships get complicated, um, and it's a little bit of a roller coaster ride. So I dove into research. I was just I dove into books, dove into research, and there's a ton of research out there, and and I found some gaps that I wanted to fill. I wanted um, to share some information to normalize things. Things that you know that happen in this phase, um, so I put together a friendship program um, and ran it for girls to kind of you know test out some ideas. And you know, after a couple of years of doing that, I realized this is information that you know really would be a helpful book. So you know, I I I, I converted that and a lot of the stories I heard over the years into this book. And my hope is um, just to really put out some resources to help smooth out the ride and normalize a lot of things. You know, this is a period of tremendous change and it is hard to find good friends, um, you know, and and friendships change over time. So a lot of those things are in the book um, so that girls realize that they're okay. You know, when I was running my friendship programs, there was this huge sigh of relief when they realized, oh, thank good, it, it's not just me. They looked around and there was a whole room full of girls that were going through the same thing. And so I'm like, oh, this needs to be normalized. This is, this, this is not easy, but it's normal. It's not just you. There's nothing wrong with you. This is a phase where everybody is growing and changing and learning as we go and it gets a little messy. Um, you know, but here's some tools to help you navigate it.
1: So as you were going through the research, as you were putting together this Now book, and you have identified some things for parents to, to think about, to consider, as they're working with their own kids to identify these, not only stumbling blocks, but also opportunities, things that they can do with their own daughters to be able to help them. Uh, talk to me about some of the biggest takeaways that you have taken uh, from writing this, and what your hope is for parents. In. Not only reading, but leaving the book and being able to work with their kids.
2: Yeah, and something I've found, you know, talking with parents over the years, that kind of it's staying really aglu- clued into the big picture is a relief for parents because it's easy for us to get caught up in the the individual struggles of our daughters and really worry about them. But if we take a step back and look at developmentally what's going on, it's it's a relief. So let me talk about this this shift. I call it I call it the slow shift. So in preschool and maybe in early elementary school, you know, we as parents are very involved in, you know, the social lives of our daughters. We might be the ones coordinating things and they're very much surrounded by play. You know, play is what's happening when these these girls get together. But then this slow shift starts to happen and it happens at a different stage for every girl because we, you know, we're all growing at different phases. So the first thing that happens is, maybe the end of elementary school into middle school friends start to take on a different meaning um and it, at some point, they actually, you know, almost are more of a support system than family. So friendships start to carry a lot more weight. And this is development, this happens developmentally. So as we grow, we start to pull away from our family. It's it's a natural thing. Um, so that's where we as parents start to feel, you know, they don't really want to be seen with us quite as much. And we're a little more embarrassing to them. So, so friendships carry more weight. That's one thing that's happening. At the same time, girls are starting to explore their identity for the first time. Like, who am I and what do I like to do and what am I looking for in friendship and who are my friends so they're starting to really explore that and and maybe test out some new relationships or question some relationships they've had for a long time for girls um, there is a big drop in confidence some studies show that between ages of 8 and 14 confidence can drop for up to 30% for girls and this doesn't happen quite as much as in boys. And that can be the focus of a whole nother conversation, but I'll leave it there. So they're dealing with um, less confidence in themselves so that, you know, the ground doesn't feel as stable underneath them. And then just to throw one more, you know, complexity into this phase, puberty begins, you know, so there's lots of changes happening in their bodies. Um, They also are experiencing emotions at a deeper level. So the emotional part of our brain ramps up faster than, you know, the regulation part of our brain during puberty. Eventually, you know, our prefrontal cortex catches up and we get really better at managing our emotions, but during this phase, emotions feel really Big. Um, this is why many people have long, mem- you know, deep memories from this phase of their life, because when we feel things really deeply, it creates deep memories. Um, so all that is happening, you know, somewhere between, you know, upper elementary, in middle school, and even maybe a little bit in high school. So yes, Relationships are being impacted, you know, it's a huge phase of growth and change. So I wanted to, you know, normalize that, that, you know, because all this is going on, yes, there's changes, um, because girls are exploring all of these new things. So um, change is normal and it's okay and it's not easy, but we learn through this phase. We learn what kind of friend do we want to be? We learn what kind of friends we'd like um, just by going through this process and, and of course, making mistakes along the way.
1: I think we've all made those mistakes along the way, and, and I think by sharing our own journey, that helps too. Now, you talk in your book about nine different truths that – parents need to understand and that our daughters are going to be going through. Can you talk about some of those truths and how that impacts our daughters?
2: Yes. And so these are things that we we kind of learn over the course of our lives. But I I thought, what if we front load this? What if we give this information to girls and we talk about it as families, just so they're, they're on the lookout for this? So friendship truth number one is healthy friendships feel safe and accepting. Um, and as we know now as adults – those relationships are hard to come by, you know, and they're pretty special. When we land in a relationship that feels pretty safe and accepting, you know, we know it. It feels, it feels really good, but they're hard to find. Um, so girls during this phase, because of all this happening under the surface, they might not have that. Um, and that can feel really unsettling to girls to be in a phase maybe in between friends or in between groups where they don't feel like they have that. Um, and that's where it's really important, you know, for families to really stand by their girls and make sure they Always are a safe, accepting landing place for their daughters, but encouraging daughters to always look out for the friendships that feel really safe and accepting. Um, Friendship truth number two is friendships have different phases and change over time. What is confusing for girls, you know, in the preteen and the teen years, they might have a really close friend that all of a sudden is an acquaintance. And how awkward is that? I think we've all been in that situation that, you know, something happens or, you know, yeah, just a change in personality, some sort of, you know, mistake, misunderstanding, and all of a sudden a close friend is goes back to an acquaintance and that doesn't feel really good. But we need to normalize that because that actually happens throughout life. So, yeah, so friendships do have different phases and change over time. So, those are just the first two, but really just these realities, my hope is, again, to normalize these things and let girls know that they're okay. You know, they, there's nothing wrong with them. They're just, they're going through the phase, and they're learning, and it's, it's a really huge period of growth and change.
1: Now, you talk about the importance of growth, change, at this period of time that our daughters are going through a lot of different changes within themselves. But, it, but your book also explores some aspects in friendship in regards to conflict and bullying and ways to respond to each. Why is this important and helpful for girls to understand?
2: And all of us, even parents to understand, you know, we've done a really great job of bullying education, which is wonderful. You know, I think when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, we didn't even talk about bullying. I mean, I didn't even really know that word or what it meant. So so we as a society have a, have done a great job of bringing awareness to bullying because that needs to stop, you know, research finds that that has really de- de- detrimental effects on kids and adults. But now, since there's so much awareness, often conflict is confused with that and and that's not good because sometimes we'll miss a bullying situation because you know it's a conflict is labeled as bullying often enough that we might miss a really serious situation and and conflict is inevitable you know we're all going to experience conflict and we need to learn how to navigate that conflict in healthy ways so let me start by just explaining bullying um, and really what that is and then we'll talk about conflict so so experts agree that that Bullying has a few things in common. One, it is intentional. Two, it's repeated. Three, it's pretty aggressive. So intentional, repeated, aggressive. And it doesn't have to be physically aggressive. It can be verbally, emotionally aggressive. And four, there's some sort of power imbalance, whether it's real or perceived. So the person who's behaving like a bully or the group behaving like a bully has more social power, maybe um, physical power than the person being bullied. So in summary, it feels really one directional, you know, uh, an individual or group repeatedly attacking somebody who likely doesn't defend themselves or cannot defend themselves. So that is bullying. It needs to be stopped. And so in the book, it's really clear that this is not okay. This needs to stop. And sometimes we need adult intervention there to find a safe way to make that stop and, and a way that the target of that is is comfortable with. So it's, um, yeah, it's important for parents to work with the target and work with the school or in, in ways that feel safe for the target of that to, to respond. Okay, so now let's swi- switch gears and talk about... Conflict. Okay, so conflict is just some sort of struggle or strife between people and a group or a group, and that, of course, is really common. Um, so, you know, there. what's different between bullying and conflict is there's not that power imbalance. It might not be really intentional or overly aggressive. It's just people not getting along. And there tends to be both sides have some part in it. And so it's important to see that maybe something we're doing is triggering this. We don't want to make our girls feel like they're at fault. But in conflict, you know, even if it's a small part, you know, we have a part in what's happening there. So when we get to conflict, there's all sorts of Ways to navigate that, and it's going to depend on the person and it's going to depend on the situation. And so, in the book, I've got just a menu of options to think through. So, if you find yourself in a conflict, let's use a common one that happens these days. Let's say your daughter wasn't invited to an event that she thought she should have been invited to. Okay, so, um, yeah, she's really hurt by that. Maybe pictures were posted on social media. You know, what could she do? So what I encourage girls to do is first list your options. Okay, let's think about the situation. We weren't invited to this party. All It seems like all the rest of your friends were. Why were you left out? What are your options? And have her talk through that. You know, her first option is, you know, maybe she'll come up with something nasty to do. Let her just vent that. Okay, yeah, you could do that thing. You could shoot off that, that text that is maybe pretty harsh. Two, you know, maybe she wants to take some time to cool off and maybe she wants to do nothing and see what happens. Maybe she doesn't have enough information to make any judgments whether this was intentional or maybe the parents put a limit on the number of kids invited, or maybe she just wants to wait it out and see what happens. Three, maybe she wants to actually, in a non aggressive way, privately talk to the person who had the party and say, Hey, I noticed you didn't invite me to that. I'm just wondering, was something okay? Is something up? You know, did something going on? Like, you know, so help her figure out a way to, to approach that. And again, all of this. This is going to depend on your daughter and the situation. You know, say this isn't really a close friend and, you know, maybe she just wasn't invited because they're not close friends or maybe they are really close friends and she wants to take a different approach. So coming up with resolutions or approaches to deal with conflict can be complicated, but really helpful to talk through those options and think about which one your daughter feels the most comfortable with.
1: Such great information and definitely things that I think all of us have to think about in regards to how we talk to our daughters. And, you know, as I look at your book, It seems like not only is it a very practical book, but it's a book that I think a daughter could pick up by herself and and read for herself. But also it could be a great conversation piece for a parent and a child to go through together.
2: These things are tough to talk about. So what I try to do is make this book fun. So it's full of interactive stuff like quizzes. And so the first quiz is, you know, how healthy is my friendship? And I always encourage parents to do that too. You know, it's, it, it comes up with some great talking points. So you know, if they they are, you know, side by side on the couch and each one chooses a friendship to think about as they take a quiz, you know, it's, it's a great entry point to conversations to talk about what they learn. And in the book, there's all these, you know, super duper important notes like, you you know, don't share, you know, if you take a quiz of how healthy is my friendship, it, this is not a point in time to share that with other friends. However, you can share that with a trusted adult. If you really need to talk through something you learn from one of the quizzes in the book, talk to a trusted adult. You know, so if there happens to be a trusted adult in the room, perfect. You know, maybe that is an entree conversation for you and your daughter to talk about what they learn about some of their relationships as they go through the book.
1: Now, I love all of this. Now, if people want to find out more about the book, about you, Where's the best place for them to go?
2: The easiest place to find me is just my website, which is jessicaspear.com. S P E E R dot com, and I've got information about the book, and it can be purchased pretty much anywhere books are sold. But there's direct links there. But I also just post a lot of about this topic on my website. You know, this has become my passion: is how can we, as parents, you know, work on healthy relationship with our kids, and how can we help our kids develop healthy relationships too? So, you know, I write a lot about this. So you're welcome to you know check out any resources I have on my website with regards to this topic, because I think you and I agree, Chris, that this is big one. You know, this is what it's really all about, you know, helping, you know, keeping healthy relationships with our own daughters and helping them learn to develop you know healthy relationships for themselves.
1: Totally agree. Now we always finish our interviews with what I like to call our fatherhood five, but with the fact that you're not a dad, I'm gonna call this a motherhood five this time, where we ask you five more questions to delve deeper into you as a parent. So first off in one word for you, what is fatherhood? connection. Now, when was the time that you felt that you finally succeeded at being a mom to a daughter?
2: When my kids were taught, one was toddler and one was five. So three, I felt like when my kids turned three and five, I did make some big shifts in my life. I realized I had a little too much going on work-wise and extracurricular-wise, and I had to make some big shifts in my life so I could be the grounded present mom. I wanted to be. So I feel like that, unfortunately, it took me a couple years. But, you know, I finally made some changes that I felt like helped me be a more grounded, present mom, you know, and I, I can feel the ripple effects in our relationship, you know, to this day.
1: Now, if I was to talk to your daughters right now, how would they describe you as a mom? Loving. And who inspires you to be a better mom?
2: I am so grateful. You know, Since we're talking about friendship, I've got some really good friends that we regularly get together and hike. And I feel like through those hikes, we're kind of our own, you know, mom cheer squad. <laughs> so, so we listen to each other's trials and tribulations. And it's often through those hikes and those walks that, you know, I'm reminded of really what's behind all this and that is to make my co- my kids feel as loved and accepted as as I possibly can. So I feel like my my good friends are that reminder source for me that keeps me keeps me focused on that.
1: And you've given a lot of piece of advice when it comes to friendships for our daughters, but as you are thinking about the dads that are listening today, what advice would you give to other dads?
2: I think the way that men handle friendship is so, it's so different for women. You know, I think for men, you know, it's often activity-based, you know, guys get together and do stuff. You know, for women, we're often looking for maybe deeper connections and deeper emotional bonds and, you know, different levels of support. So, but I think what dads are modeling for girls, in their friendships is wonderful and their experiences is wonderful. So I encourage dads, you know, to talk about that and to talk about what they've learned in their friendships over the years, you know, to to normalize some of the stuff. So their daughters, you know, are again, always reminded that they're okay. And these, you know, these rough patches happen and there's nothing wrong with them. And we're all learning as we go. And I loved what we talked about at the beginning where just to be a sounding board. So for girls, you know, and women, you know, we often just need someone to listen. We need, to vent out loud. We don't actually need any problem solving or advice. We just need someone to listen as we work through this and try to put words through the experiences and the emotions that we're having and when girls get that and especially when they get that from their dad that is such a gift that then I think is going to make them really look for that in their adult relationships too
1: well Jessica I just want to say thank you for being here thank you for this book because I think it's going to be an amazing opportunity for fathers and daughters but mothers and daughters parents in general to be able to connect with their kids in, in a whole different way. And I am looking forward to encouraging everyone to be able to take a look at this and find ways that we can better support the friendships that our daughters have and better define what friendship really means, because that will definitely help them as they get older and as they move into adulthood. So thank you for writing this. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing. And I wish you all the best.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Chris. And thank you for the work you do. I think it's wonderful, this supportive community that you're creating for dads. I absolutely love it. So thank you for everything that you're putting out there in the world.
0: Welcome to Dads with Daughters. In this show, we spotlight dads, resources, and more to help you be the best dad you can be.
1: Welcome back to the Dads with Daughters podcast where we bring you guests to help you be active participants in your daughter's lives, raising them to be strong, independent women. I am so excited today to be able to bring you a uh, someone that I think is going to bring some really great value to the conversation. We're going to be talking to Adam Simpson today, who is the president and chief executive officer for the EW Scripps Company. Now, If you don't know what E.W. Scripps is, you might think of, oh, the Scripps Spelling Bee. But Scripps is a media corporation that has many, many television stations across the United States. There's some other media outlets, and we may talk a little bit about that too, about what Scripps kind of entails. But I am really excited to be able to talk about this because we're going to be talking about not only Adam as a father, but we're going to be talking also about media literacy and what we can do to better be able to help our own daughters to be literate about the media that they're seeing and kind of sift through the the melu, the mess that is out there to find the, the true things that are out there as well. Adam, thanks so much for being here today.
0: Chris, I'm so glad to join you.
1: I always start these interviews with an opportunity to be able to delve a little bit deeper into you as a dad. And the first and the first question that I always ask is, I want to turn the clock back in time. I know you've got two daughters, and they are 11 and 14. So I want to go back in time. Maybe- 14 and a half years or so, to that first moment that you found out that you were going to be a dad to a daughter. Talk to me about that and tell me about that experience.
0: I was really excited. I always wanted to have at least one daughter. I was doubly blessed to have two. So when I first found out that my wife, Sherry, and I were going to have a baby girl, I think we were, frankly, quite satisfied. It's interesting because so many people will ask, well, did you want also a boy? Or, I mean, there was a now we're sort of past that point, but there was a period of time where people would even say, You're gonna try again for a boy. And quite frankly, no, that was just never something that that I felt like we needed to do. You know, I, I don't really see much of a difference with respect to my expectations of having two daughters versus a, a boy and a girl or or two boys. My daughters are both so very different, but they really complete our family. And even going back to that moment, I just think about it with You know, just incredible joy and satisfaction. You
1: know, I smile when you said they're so very different because I think of my own daughters and how vastly different they are as well. And as a father, you have to surf that wave and figure out for yourself, okay, how do I balance being a father to two different personalities that are into different things um, while I'm a busy person as well? So talk to me about balance and how do you balance that? How do you balance not only the the one-on-one interactions and, and being able to allow for the individuality of your daughters to shine, but at the same time, balance the professional role? You're in a very public role in a very public company. So you have this public persona that you have to maintain, but then you also have to go home and, and be a dad and do all the things that that entails.
0: You know, it's funny, the answer to your question, how do I balance it? I guess I'd say best I can. And that's a very subjective or even qualitative answer. And I don't mean it to be a cop-out, but sometimes I think I do a pretty good job and other times I think I'm a failure. And it just depends on the occasion and the day. And I think, I hope that that's probably similar to the way most of your listeners feel who are trying to balance Multiple things in their lives. I think we all just set out to do our best. There's something funny that happens when you get a job that has a title like CEO, and that is that people sort of assume when your business card changes that things automatically change on a number of different fronts. But at the end of the day, I am really still the same dad to my daughters that I was before I was the CEO. And I have the same responsibilities here at home with my family that I did before. And being busier doesn't alleviate me of those responsibilities and in some cases of those burdens. And fortunately, it doesn't preclude me from those joys you know on on the one hand you know i try to come home on days when i'm in town and i make dinner for our family the pandemic i think actually in that way was sort of a blessing because we were all cooped up and it meant that we had all four of us dinner every day together at the table and that dinner was 100% of the time cooked by me. My wife wouldn't argue with that at, well, at all. She's, that's just not her, her core competency. She's amazing at a lot of things, but cooking is not one of them. And so you know, for me, there's sort of a point of pride that I take in going to the supermarket on Sundays, every Sunday, and meal planning, and preparing a meal that will gather us around the table now, before we, you know, celebrate how beautiful and wonderful a Norman Rockwell image that is, I'll tell you that sometimes that's accompanied by, you know, arguments with my younger daughter about what I'm making, and frustrations with my older daughter because I might be making meat and she wants to be eating vegetarian, and you know, so there's <laughs> we have to go through the same things that everybody else does with with uh, preteen and 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 teen girls, but you know, w- with respect to you know, any difference that people think there is because, you know, the business card is different. You know, I just I just don't see it that way. Maybe for some people it's different, but for me and for my wife and for my kids, when I come home from work, I'm just dad. And the fact that I happen to have a different title on my business card at the office, it doesn't really impress them very much.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think that for all of us as dads, no matter, like you said, what title we have, we, we are just dad to them. And it doesn't really matter as long as you are giving them the time, it, because as I think I've heard in so many different places, our kids are always looking at T-I-M-E as the most important piece uh, that we can play as fathers. Now, as fathers to daughters, I've heard from many dads that talk about that sometimes it's a challenge. And whether it's a challenge of connection, a challenge of just being a father, and I think that fathers of sons have challenges too, but what would you say has been the hardest part for you in being a father to a daughter?
0: I don't know any other experience. And my girls present me with the most challenging hurdles and obstacles. And I think they simultaneously provide me with the greatest triumphs and joys each of them have their own very distinct personalities. My older daughter is very dogmatic. She's very black and white. And I sometimes find myself working hard to try and convince her of something or maybe even impress upon her a certain notion. And, you know, she can easily shut down and disavow me of of the influence I used to have with her when she was 5 or 6 and my younger daughter she just wants to sit down and watch an Avengers movie on television with me. We both like science fiction and we've made our way over Disney Plus through the Avengers movies and and are now on to the X-Men movies and she's the one who I really look forward to every Sunday sitting down with me to watch football. She loves the Bengals and she loves football and so we, we spend time on the couch sort of as a decompression moment for the both of us. And, well, my older one loves being outdoors. She loves hiking and she loves biking. She likes camping and backpacking. And so she's my confederate on uh, my other big hobby, which is essentially doing pretty much anything in the outdoors. So I can't tell you that I've found distinct challenges other than the challenges we all face. You know, you want your kids to be, or I should say you try to model the way. And you try to be the kind of person who you aspire your children will grow up to be or, you know, as the case is, sort of find themselves partnered with. And, you know, sometimes you can potentially even get obsessed with that and it can be a little bit unhealthy. But I just want them to be good people and to have mission in their lives and to feel fulfilled and to feel personally satisfied and successful.
1: Now as you look at raising your daughters, I sometimes hear from dads that there are fears. Fears in raising daughters today. What are your biggest fears in preparing your daughters? And you talked about that they have mission in their lives, but what would you say as you look at their future and preparing them for their future? What's your biggest fear?
0: You know, when we were growing up, we would disappear on our bikes all day. And over the course of the hours we were gone before it was dark, we exercised just a high level of independence. You know, we could certainly have gotten ourselves into big trouble, but we navigated those situations, whether they were dangerous or not, whether we were doing things we shouldn't have been or not. I mean, at the end of the day, we were sort of, at least in small doses, responsible for a lot of our own welfare and in the society we live in today we don't let our children be so free or at least i should say we don't in our household i mean i don't want to speak for everybody and i'm sure there are a lot of people out there that still have a setup that allows their kids to run off and play in the woods and you know be on the farm or Ah, uh, run around the city by themselves. But here at home, we're just not in that same situation. It, you know things are very different today. And I want to make sure my kids grow up with the same independence, the blessing that I think my parents gave me in the way they in the way they treated us. And so we've compensated it for it in a certain way. I mean, uh, right now, as you and I are talking, both of my kids are away at sleepaway camp. And a lot of people say, "Oh my gosh, how can you send your daughters away for so many weeks?" But especially after the pandemic, the last year and a half that we've had, the blessing that we've given them, and it is a blessing and we're fortunate to be able to afford that blessing, is the opportunity to be out in the woods, roughing it with a bunch of other girls where the decision about what they eat and how they dress and what activities they choose to do is up to them. We don't do anything other than communicate for the most part with our kids via Letters in the mail, which means they're having to self soothe, even. You know, they have a bad day, they got to talk to their friends about it, or they got to talk to their counselors about it. They want to tell me about something amazing, they've got to delay gratification and write a letter about it and wait for me to write back to them. And so I'm just really intent on making sure that they somehow develop that independence not just not I think that's not just important for kids these days but I think it's particularly important to grow strong and independent women and my wife and I have have spent a lot of time thinking about that and focused on that I don't know if I answered your question
1: No 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 you did and and I think that everything you said there makes a lot of sense and I grew up in a very similar situation like you did in regards to you know you You leave in the morning, you come home at dinner, and that was kind of the life, right? And we did have a lot of independence. I see what you're saying as well, that there's been this this pulling back from a lot of parents to be able to insulate our kids in many ways, while at the same time trying to provide them with independence in some other aspects of life. And then you run into the situation of social media and other things that can put up a lot of other obstacles and can create other challenges for parents and for kids alike. So I said earlier that you are a, the CEO and president of a large media corporation. Scripps is a large media corporation. Not everyone knows what Scripps is. So before I ask you some questions, because I specifically want to talk to you today about media literacy, because I think that for parents today, we have to help our kids to be able to, especially from a young age, to sift through the voices and to try to help them to be more media literate. But before we get into that, why don't you tell me a little bit about scripts in general and allow for myself and others to understand kind of as a corporation... What Scripps is.
0: So Scripps is one of the nation's oldest journalism companies, media companies, a hundred and forty-three-year-old company that started out newspapers and grew to be the nation's largest newspaper chain. We were one of the first companies to get radio licenses and commercialize radios across the uh, radio stations across the country and likewise television stations. When it was the dawn of cable. We were laying coax cable in the ground and delivering cable to people's homes. And we got out of that business and then went to cable programming and created HGTV and then acquired the controlling interest and grew the food network, created a lifestyle cable empire. We've been in and out of lots of businesses. We exited the newspaper business. We're today one of the nation's largest broadcast television station owners. We own 61 television stations serving 41 markets across the country. And we have the largest portfolio of over-the-air networks, so you've got this phenomenon happening as people cut the cord. They're also plugging in digital antennas. And when they do that, they discover an entire marketplace of over-the-air channels like Bounce, which is the nation's first African-American-focused broadcast network, or GRIT Court TV. We just launched two more called True Real and Defy. There's a network we call, have called Court TV Mystery. And so we we deliver all of those over the air as well as on cable and on digital platforms. So the company has been in and out of lots of businesses over the years, but the center of gravity for the company is really around journalism. I myself was investigative journalist for the first 15 years of my career. You know, just tying it back to the conversation we were just having, I mean, I can't tell you how many stories I did over the course of my career in the newsroom. That picked up on what you're saying, the dangers of social media. I think that's probably much to the chagrin of my daughters, why we've really limited much of their access to social media. We held out as long as we could with our oldest and she's now on Instagram, but not on any of the other platforms. And our younger daughter isn't on any of the social media platforms, but boy, it's tough. And I've had the chance to watch from multiple sides, both as a journalist and now as a parent, how difficult it is to navigate being a parent and growing children with social media around and so prevalent in their lives.
1: There are so many voices out there and I'm biased. I should put my bias out there right away as a good journalist does in the sense that I work for a Scripps company. Outside of what I do here on the show, but in looking at everything that Scripps has done, you talked earlier about modeling the way. And I I smiled when you said that because one of the pillars of Scripps is model the way. And I think that as we are thinking about media literacy and talking to our kids about media literacy, we have to, as parents, model the way to be able to allow for our kids to better understand what are good sources. But also, how do you identify the voices that you actually are listening to to be able to get the news the way that you need to get it, but also to understand what's truly happening? As you talk to parents, because I'm sure you've come across and have had to talk to parents throughout your entire career about talking to their kids, what are some of the things that you say about sifting through that noise?
0: Chris, I mean, I think we're definitely facing a crisis. Um, It's a crisis uh, that will further affect our democracy and I think have more of an impact than anything else. And it's a reason why I am so passionate about news literacy and media literacy in general. At the company at Scripps, we've been partnered with the News Literacy Project, which is a nonpartisan nonprofit out of D.C. that really focuses on bringing news literacy curriculum back to schools, because as schools have moved towards teaching to testing standards Things like civics have become minimized. And there's unfortunately a lot of curriculum out there that doesn't ever expose kids to the very basics of news literacy. A lot is said today about the kind of environment our children are graduating from and into. But the fact is, tying things with our previous conversation, I mean, these kids are graduating into the most complex content marketplace in the history of communication. And many of them don't have the skills to differentiate between public relations and journalism, propaganda and advertising, misinformation or disinformation, legitimate sources from illegitimate sources. And it's an insidious problem because If one depends on being an informed consumer, I use that word consumer broadly, in order to make sure you're an informed citizen, we've got to do something about this. And so our company, as I said, is partnered with the News Literacy Project, and we've launched an annual week called the News Literacy Week with the NLP to make sure we bring awareness of the mission to a broader audience, even beyond kids. You know, I think we all know plenty of adults who have. Suddenly, found themselves, you know, confused by you know sources uh, that they see on Facebook. I mean, certainly, people I know as well sharing information that's just patently false, whether it's about politics or about the pandemic and the vaccine. And we've got to re-educate the citizens of this country so that they can be more savvy consumers of content, especially because. Uh, They depend so much on social media for their content.
1: So you talk about the fact that we need to be more savvy about the things that we're sharing, the things that we are consuming. What are some of the steps that people should take, parents should take to be able to inform their kids, but also parents and adults should take in general to be able to break down what they're seeing? Individually, we have to be able to do it ourselves before we can share it with our kids.
0: Yeah, look, I mean, I hope that news, the events of the day, current events, uh, history, I hope that these are the topics that are being bantered about at the kitchen table, whether that's between the two adults or, you know, more broadly with the family in general, because the first thing we need to do is foster a interest in civic engagement. The second thing we have to do is we've got to hold ourselves accountable. We've got to pause before we share and retweet. We've got to check our sources and verify the source of the information before we decide to spread it on social media. And we've got to have a skeptical eye. And you know that's across the board. We talk all the time about quality, objective journalism at Scripps, the mastheads of the newspapers we've been reading forever, the brands that we represent. These are reliable brands. But nevertheless, I still think consumers deserve to understand the perspectives by which journalists are coming at the news and information that they're reporting. And so being a smart consumer is essentially the same thing we've asked all of our kids to do when we started teaching them about the food pyramid or about how to read labels. If you go into the supermarket and the cover of the frozen dinner insinuates that it's healthy, it's not a big deal to flip the box over and actually look at how much protein, sodium, fat, calories are in that before you decide it's the right thing to put in your body. And I think we've got to do the same thing about the content we absorb into our mind. It's really interesting. We're certainly very quick as a people to eat anything without looking at the label and to consume media without understanding from where it comes. But if I came to you and said, I just cooked this brew up in my bathroom and I'd like you to put it into your gas tank you'd say, well, I spent $30,000 on my car. I don't know what that is, but I don't want to put it in my car. And yet we'll, in some ways, you know, without any skepticism, absorb things into our body and bring things into our mind without checking the source and verifying its validity. And I'm just asking us to sort of bring that same level of due diligence to the things that make up our body and our mind. And when it comes to social media, the tough part is we sometimes assume that because it's being shared by a friend, it's true, or because it's being endorsed, liked, tweeted by a friend, it must be true or it must be valid. And the fact is, I think we've all now seen that that's not necessarily the case that we have to really go directly to the source and take a moment to really look at everything with a skeptical eye and determine whether or not it's actual fact-based reporting or whether it's opinion. By the way, both are important parts of the information ecosystem. Whether something is advertising. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of advertising. I don't think there's anything wrong with advertising, but there's a real difference between advertising and journalism or advertorial. You know, understanding what's coming from social media It doesn't necessarily mean it's bad, but it needs to be understood. I'll give you a good example. Back in the old days, Chris, when you and I were just getting into this business, there was really one way the government could get their information out and widely distributed, right? They would call a press conference, they would share it with the news media, and it was upon us to ask a second question and to challenge the assumptions and then share it out more broadly. Today, police departments, Politicians—they all go direct to consumer, and I don't begrudge them that connection. But we should just recognize that just because it's coming from a government official doesn't mean it doesn't deserve a second hard look. And generally, it's the work of journalists in our newsrooms to give that that work a second hard look and to represent um, the role we play in the fourth estate as as the healthy skeptic that plays the balancing act in its fourth estate role to government and to big business. And that's what we expect of our journalists. And that's what the public should expect of us. And that's what the public should seek out when it's thinking about how it assesses its content and its information.
1: Now, there are a lot of voices out there. Outside of the Scripps networks, there's other networks, there's there's cable networks, there's print, there's radio, There's there's lots of places that people can be able to listen. As people are listening, as our kids are listening, what are some of the things that we should be listening for? to try to determine or looking for, even on their websites, to be able to identify quality journalism?
0: Well, look, I think I always try to talk to my kids about understanding when somebody or something is trying to influence you. So there's information from which you should draw your own conclusions, and then there's influencing. And I don't think there's anything wrong with opinion pieces, and I'm not even sure there's anything wrong sometimes with understanding that everybody comes at something from a perspective and they're trying to influence those that read. But I think we have to just understand that, right? I think we just have to be skilled enough to understand the difference between information and influence, fact versus opinion. And so sitting around that kitchen table again and having conversations with your kids about making sure they understand that difference, that's critical working with organizations like the News Literacy Project to bring their curriculum into school for eighth and ninth graders so that they can emerge into high school with the skills to understand that just because their friends share it doesn't mean it's true. Those are the critical life skills that unfortunately, I think, have become somewhat pushed aside, and yet they're more needed than ever. So what I always talk to parents about is it's unlikely that they're going to get some of those lessons. In the classroom. That used to be a standard part of civics or government. It's possible now that if you want your child to be an informed citizen and a part of an engaged electorate, you may have to do that work with them and for them around the kitchen table.
1: And I'm definitely going to put a link to the News Literacy Project in the notes today just so that people can take a look at this and be able to then even potentially go back to their own school systems and see is this already a part of the curriculum? That your kids are getting, because it might not be, but it might be something that you could then bring forward and ask and say, well, how could we, how could we get this into our school system if it's not already there? Now, I think, I guess one other thing, and you've talked about this just a little bit, but Scripps, as you said, has been doing this for a very long time. You've been, as, a, as an organization, you've been bringing news and, and providing news and voices for the news for many, many years. What sets Scripps apart from other news agencies, and especially in regards to the direction that you are leading the way, I'm going to say, in being able to provide the company with the vision for the future?
0: We really believe that good journalism is good business. We recognize that right now the role we play in our democracy is more important than ever. And it really all comes back to something our founder, E.W. Scripps, said you know, in the late 1800s, and that was independence in all things. Our job is to provide the information and to give the consumer the opportunity to draw their own conclusions, not to influence them. And we famously adhere to our motto, give light and the people will find their own way. So the intent there is to recognize that ours is not the job to move public opinion in one direction or the other. Ours is the job to inform the citizens and allow them the opportunity, treat them with the respect that they deserve so that they can distill the information we give them and draw their own conclusions. And that is a bit unique right now in the marketplace. I mean, you mentioned the cable networks. You know, the cable networks started out, I would say, in a similar fashion, but for a variety of reasons that we can talk about on a different podcast, the cable networks today look a little bit less like news and a little bit more like opinionated talk radio. They're filling the airwaves. They're filling their time with hours and hours of opinion speak. And even folks that our listeners would assume are meant to be anchors are behaving sometimes in a way that would, I think, disappoint and shock they're journalism school professors. And so when I think about cable news, I mean, at this point, I'm not sure that cable news spends enough time on news. I think oftentimes, like I said, it's a little bit more like an echo chamber meant to program to to speak to a particular group, left, right, somewhere along the way. And that's just not the orientation our company has. We really expect of our journalists a high level of objectivity, Though I think complete objectivity is, we're all human and that's that's not really possible. That's why it's so important for everybody to be a savvy consumer. But we expect for them to aspire to that level of objectivity and to always meet the standards in quality reporting that that objectivity demands of us because going back to what E.W. Scripps said, independence in all things.
1: Well, Adam, I want to say thank you. now we always finish our interviews with what we like to call our Fatherhood Five, where I ask you five more questions to delve a little bit deeper into you as a dad. Okay. Are you ready? Okay,
0: yeah, I'm ready. In
1: one word, what is fatherhood? Love. When was the time that you finally felt like you succeeded in being a father to a daughter?
0: It's in those moments when I see my kids themselves succeed at doing something that they probably thought they couldn't do, and yet I'm not there to push them along. That's when I feel the proudest.
1: Now, if your daughters were standing here and I asked this question, how would they describe you as a dad?
0: Oh my gosh. I'm fine. I am tough on them sometimes, but I'm also a good balance to my wife and her intensity. I think I have found a level of agility in my fatherhood that has allowed me to be one thing to my older daughter and another thing to my younger daughter because they're very different personalities. And I don't know if they'd say this, but but I would hope they would recognize that I work really hard at work and at home for their benefit.
1: Now, who inspires you to be a better dad?
0: I had a fabulous example. My father... Is a terrific dad. I'm fortunate that he's also a terrific papa to my daughters. You know, he made a number of decisions about how he navigated his career that were always decisions driven by the kind of father and husband he wanted to be. Whether it was changing industries so that he could make sure he never had to travel or taking specific jobs that would be closer to home so that he could be home for dinner every night. And so when I sort of think about what I learned from both my mother and father, I I think that I was very fortunate to have good role models on both sides from both of them. Very fortunate. I'm very blessed that they were great parents and they've made obviously, the most profound and lasting impact on my life.
1: Now, you've given a lot of different pieces of advice today, things that I know that I'll think about, but others will think about as well. But in leaving today, what's one piece of advice that you would want to give to all dads?
0: I've lost some friends recently, people that I've worked with and that I have been close to over the years. They've passed prematurely. And it's made me also think about maximizing my attention when I'm with my kids. I'm not always the best at it, you know. I'm not always totally focused on just being with them. And frankly, kids are kids, they're not always just focused on being with us, right? I mean, wouldn't it be great if like everybody would put down their devices and that we would all just stare at each other? But I really hope that I can recognize that our time here is limited and that it takes a lot of intentionality to give your kids what they need. And again, I, I don't think I always do that best I can, but I'd like I'm always on a path of progress. I'm always trying to aspire to be better. And I don't always succeed, but I aspire to be better. And I would like to say with my kids, I aspire to be more focused when I'm with them. And I I think the best advice I can give now that I've sort of seen this from a couple different directions is that we all ought to be as focused as we can, though we're all just so incredibly distracted. That focus is the one thing they cannot get from anybody else.
1: So true and not easy to accomplish, but but definitely something that we have to strive for to be able to be present and to be there for our kids no matter what. I appreciate you being here, Adam. And if people want to find out more about you, more about scripts. Where should they go?
0: Scripps.com. Our website gives a good history of the company, walks through our mission, and uh, you can click on leadership and learn a little bit more about my background. Chris, this has been so much fun. I do get to do quite a few podcasts. Most of them are focused on asking me questions about television and the -the over-the-air universe and cable and journalism. And it was just such a pleasure to be able to speak today with you about something so personal and important to me, raising my two daughters.
1: Well, I truly appreciate you being here, your time today, and your willingness to share your own experience, because all of our experiences are a little bit different, but it's always so important for us to learn from each other. And I wish you all the best. Same to you. If you've enjoyed today's episode of the Dads with Daughters podcast, we invite you to check out the Fatherhood Insider. The Fatherhood Insider is the essential resource for any dad that wants to be the best dad that he can be. We know that no child comes with an instruction manual, and most dads are figuring it out as they go along. And the Fatherhood Insider is full of resources and information that will up your game on fatherhood. Through our extensive course library, interactive forum, step-by-step roadmaps, and more. You will engage and learn with experts, but more importantly, dads like you. So check it out at fatheringtogether.org. If you are a father of a daughter and have not yet joined the Dads with Daughters Facebook community, there's a link in the notes today. Dads with Daughters is a program of Fathering Together. Find out more at fatheringtogether.org. We look forward to having you back for another great guest next week, all geared to helping you raise strong, empowered daughters and be the best dad that you can be.
0: We're all in the same boat And it's full of tiny, screaming passengers We spend the
2: time We give the lessons We make the meals we buy them presents Bring your A-game Cause those kids are growing fast The time goes by just like a dynamite blast Calling astronauts and firemen Carpenters and musclemen Get out and be the one to them
0: Be the best Dad, you can be,
1: be the best dad you can be.